Well, good morning, everyone. Um, welcome to Redeemer. As Tyler said, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, thank you for joining us this morning. Um, we're really glad that you are here. Um, if you are visiting with us, um, extra glad that you're here. Um, thanks so much for, for you know, spending some time with us this morning. Um, so I'm sure many of you are uh, well aware, um, at this point at least, that next week is a very big moment in uh, our culture in America, the Super Bowl. Um, I was not really aware until Friday. Um, I didn't know when it was. I didn't know who was playing. But now I know. It's next Sunday. I don't know the time. I think it's usually 5.30. And then the Chiefs and the Eagles. Um, so, obviously, very big deal culturally. Basically, um, so many people, millions of people, not only watch the game, but go somewhere to, to watch with friends, you know, eat, eat some good food and just have a good time. And there are even some of those um, who have been doing that this entire season. They enjoy football. They watch NFL weekly. And so they go to a friend's house or sometimes they go to sports bars, sports restaurants like Buffalo Wild Wings to watch games, um, stuff like that. That is not me. If you haven't noticed, I'm not particularly a huge sports fan. I don't really follow any sports. I don't have a team. Um, and so I don't particularly love going to sports bars. Not that I don't enjoy having a burger or some wings and spending time with friends, but I don't like it because it's too much. It's too much. It's too distracting. It's too overwhelming. There's too many people. It's loud. There's too many televisions with too many things on. And the thing is, is I don't really care that much about the games but I can't talk to my friend because right behind them is a massive TV or multiple massive TVs that is just asking for me to pay attention to it. And I often give in and I, I'm distracted. I can't pay attention. Um, and so I recognize that that makes me sound like a very curmudgeon-y 80-year-old, um, which maybe that's true. But I don't love sports bars. I don't love restaurants, uh, sports restaurants, that kind of thing. Um, but also, as a side note, if you do want to go watch a game at Buffalo Wild Wings, please still invite me. I would like to go hang out, and I'll do my best to pay attention and not to be distracted by everything going on. Um, but at sports bars, when you're talking to a friend, it's hard to pay attention. It's hard to hear what they're trying to say to you. And this happens just not in a situation like that, just everyday life. There's so many reasons for us to be distracted when we're talking to someone and to not actually hear the words that they're saying to us. Sometimes even just our own thoughts in our own mind, nothing external can distract us and we don't hear what they're saying to us. And so when that happens, that can bring all sorts of challenges and difficulties and stuff like that. And so the same is true, I think, when it comes to trying to hear God's word, um, but the consequences for not hearing God's word, I, I think, are far more serious. And so when we talk about hearing God's word, we're referring to the Bible. Our passage that Tyler just read refers to the word of God as Moses and the prophets. And this is ultimately referring to the Hebrew Bible, what we refer to as the Old Testament. But now that we have a complete Bible with the 66 books of the Old and the New Testament, um, that's what we mean by God's word, the Bible. And so ultimately what this means is that the God of all creation, he has chosen to speak to us through his word and ultimately, we would all be wise to listen to what he has to say. But the reality is, is there are so many things in life that keep us from hearing God's word. But it is of the utmost importance to hear and heed what God has to say to us in his word, in the Bible. Because not only are there consequences, there are eternal consequences for not hearing what God has to say to us. 
And so as we work through this parable today, one that maybe you have heard before, um, I want us to ask ourselves this question. What keeps us from hearing God's word? What keeps us from hearing God's word? To not hear and obey God's word ultimately results in death. And so figuring out what keeps us from hearing and to remedy that is ultimately of the utmost importance. And so to further explore this question, what keeps us from hearing God's word, and to find some answers to that, we're going to work through this parable, the the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And so I'm going to go back into it and just kind of read some sections at a time, and we'll work through it. But Luke 16, starting in verses 19 through 24. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. And so um, to kind of catch us up to speed, Jesus here with this parable, he's actually continuing a discussion on money and possessions that he had already begun in Luke chapter 16 with the parable of the unjust steward. We talked about this last week. And so now he's moving into another parable about a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus who both die. One goes to heaven and one goes to Hades or hell. And so some people think that Jesus is referring to actual people, real people who lived and died. And these are actual circumstances. But I think that it's best to see this as a parable, which means it's a short metaphorical story that Jesus told to teach deeper truths. And so Jesus, he opens this parable with a scene of an incredibly rich man who lived in a huge house with a front gate to keep people out. This rich man, he was dressed in the absolutely finest clothes, the clothing really of royalty. And he delighted in decadent and delicious feasts every single day. Now there was also an incredibly poor and sick man who was brought to this rich man's front gate. And this man's name was Lazarus, which means the one God helps. It's important to note this is not the same Lazarus that Jesus raises from the dead in John chapter 11, even though they have the same name. And so while the rich man in our parable feasted every single day, Lazarus just longed to eat even the scraps that fell from the rich man's floor. But he never got a plate of leftovers from the rich man. Instead, he stayed outside, poor and suffering, sores covered in his body. He was sick and that even dogs would come and lick his sores. And so the way of life and the standard of living could not have been more different between the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man ultimately was familiar with Lazarus. He was brought to the rich man's gate. He saw Lazarus. He knew who he was. But rather than use his wealth to help Lazarus, he just kept everything to himself. He just lived it up in his gated mansion. And so at some point, Lazarus, he dies. And he was graciously escorted up into heaven by angels to be in the presence and embrace of Abraham. His suffering on earth had ended and he was enjoying eternal comfort and rest. And so to the rich man, he also died and he was buried in the ground, it says. And the cold ground that he was buried in was reflective ultimately of his cold and callous 
heart that had treated Lazarus so poorly and never ultimately repented and trusted in God. Thus, the parable says, he went to Hades or hell and he was in intense pain and anguish as he suffered there. He had his fair share of good things while he was alive on earth and really an abundant share of good things. But he was tormented by the flames that surrounded him in Hades. So these two men, they had very different life experiences and their fortunes were reversed in eternity. Lazarus was sick and poor on earth, but he was made whole and comforted by the blessings and presence of God in heaven. Conversely, the rich man was wealthy on earth and received good material things, but he had everything stripped away from him and he suffered greatly in hell. These men had their fortunes reversed ultimately because Lazarus repented of his sins. He put his faith in God while he was on earth, but the rich man did not. And we know this, we'll get to it later, but later in the parable, the rich man asked Abraham to send Lazarus to warn his five brothers so that they don't join him in Hades. And he says that the way for his brothers to avoid joining them there is for them to repent. So their eternal destination was determined by whether or not they repented and put faith in God while they were here on earth. And so from these aspects of the parable, we can learn a few things for us about what it means to hear God's word and then talking about what are the things that keep us from hearing God's word. And so in the parable, Abraham, he responds to the rich man at the end and says that the rich man's five brothers have more than enough available to them to escape hell, to go to heaven when they die. And he says that they have Moses and the prophets, the Old Testament available to them. And so it appears that these brothers, they were quite familiar with the Old Testament, but they had never repented and believed. Thus, Abraham, he says down in verse 31, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And so hearing here is not just hearing the words of the Old Testament. These five brothers had already done that. They knew the words of the Old Testament, but rather listening to those words, repenting of sins and responding in faith and obedience. The parable points to this as the reason that Lazarus, even though he suffered greatly on earth, was escorted by the angels into heaven. So this is ultimately what it means to hear God's word. Listen, repent, believe, and obey. And this is something that the rich man in our parable did not do. He was too preoccupied with his wealth and his possessions. As Jesus said in his previous parable in Luke, you cannot serve God and money. But the rich man here, he did serve money. He was devoted to money. And although he had heard the Old Testament scriptures, he did not listen or obey them. Thus, he did not obey the commands in the Old Testament to care for the poor. He only cared about himself. So he hoarded everything. He kept it to himself so that he could live the lavish lifestyle that he wanted. And he ignored poor Lazarus outside his gates. And so the rich man illustrates that Wealth and living generally a good life, sometimes they have the potential to keep us from hearing God's word. Now, there's obviously, there's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with being well off. There's nothing wrong with having a good life, of having pleasant life circumstances. But they can serve as a replacement for our devotion to God because in those circumstances, it is easier for our heart to be too in love with money. They can also ultimately just keep us from feeling the weight of our sin and our need for God's grace and forgiveness because our life generally feels pretty good. We don't feel like we need help or saving. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 19, 23 and 24, truly I tell you, 
it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Money and possessions, it's not guaranteed, but they can steal our hearts away from God. We can easily become devoted to wealth and only want to get more wealth. We want to keep all of that for ourselves. And when we have all of our daily needs met and life is good and easy, it's easy ultimately to feel like we don't really need God. I think this is one of the dangers of living in one of the wealthiest countries in the world. So many people in America are striving to achieve the American dream. And many people just have all of their daily needs met. They have extra room for hobbies, for nice things. Not everyone, of course, but a lot of people do. And again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with these things. There's also the reality that having all of these things, having all of our needs easily met with room for excess, it can numb us to our need for God. We don't feel like we need God when we easily meet all of our needs ourselves. But we do need God. We need grace and forgiveness. Money cannot provide for us all the things that we need. Only God can do that for us. And as we talked about last week, Jesus says in Luke 16, 9, money will eventually fail. We can't take our money or possessions with us when we die. All of that stays here on earth. So I think it's important we need to listen to Jesus' warnings about the potential pitfalls of money and not look to wealth as a replacement for God. We should respond to Jesus' free gift of salvation and repent and believe in faith. And then we need to listen to Jesus' commands to use our money in obedient service to him by blessing other people, by ultimately trying to further the kingdom of God. This is what the rich man in our parable should have done, and yet he did not do. He did not repent. He selfishly just kept all of his wealth to himself. And there were eternal consequences for this lack of repentance, which ultimately, I think, grew out of feeling a lack of need for God's help and salvation. He didn't think he needed saving from God. But Lazarus, the poor man Lazarus, he did recognize his need for help, and he cried out to God. And God responded to Lazarus's repentance and faith and helped him by saving him and welcoming him into heaven after he died. And this is ultimately reflected in Lazarus's name, which means the one that God helps. Lazarus's poverty and sickness made him acutely aware of his need for help and grace from God. Thus, he repented and received God's salvation. But the rich man, because of his wealth, he didn't sense a need for help. Thus, he never repented. And so while riches can sometimes, not always, but sometimes keep us from God's kingdom because we don't think we need God, poverty can sometimes serve to prepare our hearts to receive God's grace and salvation because we are very aware of all that we need from God. We need his help. So our life circumstances can sometimes encourage us or discourage us to fully hear the word of God. But, and this wasn't the case for Lazarus, but there's also the reality that sometimes trials and suffering can keep people from hearing God's word. When people experience the suffering that comes from poverty, sickness, and other difficult life circumstances, it can keep them from hearing God's word because they begin to doubt God's power, God's goodness, or even God's existence. 
when people see the evil and suffering happening in the world around them, it can kind of act as noise-canceling headphones, and they keeps them from hearing the word of God. This is referred to in philosophy as the problem of evil. This problem has been um, presented in many different ways throughout the years, but it generally says this, that there is a problem that exists between a God who is all-knowing and all-powerful and perfectly good in the existence of evil and suffering in the world. For, the argument goes, if this type of God did exist, then he would know about all of the evil and suffering. He would be powerful enough to do something about it, and he would possess the moral perfection to desire to do something about it, and thus remove evil and suffering. The argument says that since evil and suffering persist, then either God does not exist, or he is not all-knowing, all-powerful, or perfectly good. And so to address this problem throughout history, some people have tried to make the existence of God and the existence of evil logically impossible. There's no possible way that those could ever logically coexist. But there's no logical reason to believe that God and all of his infinite wisdom and power would not or could not allow certain evil to happen. In his wisdom and sovereignty and perfection, he can have sufficient reasons to allow these things to happen, reasons that, that we don't know, we can't see. But the response to this problem, the problem of evil, I think is more evident when you understand the biblical narrative of how God, he created the world perfectly good. It was morally upright in every single way, but that it was when human beings chose to sin and when human beings chose to do that which is evil, that evil and suffering was now introduced into the world and now introduced to our daily human experience. And so since all humans are sinful by nature, acts of evil and the suffering that it causes ultimately continue to happen because human beings are sinful. We perpetuate and enact sin. And we can see this in our parable. The rich man, he did absolutely nothing to help Lazarus. But I think ultimately that people's difficulty with the reality of evil and suffering in the world and the existence and character of God is not so much based on logic and reason, but more based on our experience in daily life and the emotions that it brings up, which I believe makes complete sense. Because when you witness or experience the tragic suffering of abject poverty or the intense suffering of sickness and disease, it impacts you emotionally. You begin to wonder where God is. Why isn't he doing something? Isn't he all powerful and perfectly good? I mean, I know that I've had those questions. I've asked those questions. And these things can lead people to doubt God's existence or to doubt God's trustworthiness and thus leads them to not hear the word of God. But ultimately, God has been working against the evil and suffering that has existed in the world ever since Adam and Eve originally sinned. He's been showing his love and grace and generosity and pursuing people saving them and giving them fullness of life in him. And not only that, but God himself even stepped down into the pain and suffering of this broken world in the person of Jesus. Jesus experienced trials and suffering himself. So he can ultimately relate to us. Jesus himself was poor. He was a poor traveling rabbi who had no place to lay his head. But Jesus he took all of our pain, he took all of our suffering in himself, and he bore the weight of humanity's sin and all of its consequences when he died on the cross. And he did this so that we could be forgiven and saved from all of the sin in the world and all the suffering that sin causes. 
And this is a wonderful and beautifully true reality for everyone who repents and put their faith in Jesus. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, tells us of a God who does not casually and comfortably sit back on his throne, watching the suffering of this world from a distance, but doing nothing about it, like the rich man in our parable. The gospel tells us that this God could not see our suffering and do nothing about it. Jesus himself could not hold himself back from coming down to this earth and entering into the pain and suffering of this world so that he could ultimately go to the cross to free us from all of these things. There is the reality that there is still evil and suffering in this world. And there's the reality that it causes intense pain. But Jesus loves us and he wants our healing and wholeness. And we experience this through faith in him. And ultimately, we will experience the total reversal of all of the evil and suffering in this world when Jesus returns, when he fully establishes the kingdom of God. We, like Lazarus, will receive eternal comfort in God's presence. All we have to do is to respond like Lazarus did, repent of our sins, and put our faith and trust in Christ. The hard reality is that this may not change our difficult life circumstances on earth. It did not change that for Lazarus. But we can trust and know that we are truly saved through faith in Christ. We can be confident that God loves us because he sent his son to this broken world to go to the cross for us and to save us from the evil of this world. So while the realities of evil and suffering can cause people to not hear God's word, we have a savior who loved us so much that he would choose to enter those realities himself and bear the weight of sin and suffering on his shoulders as he died in our place on the cross. So these are the types of things that can sometimes keep us from hearing the word of God. And we'll see the next one as we continue in our parable. And we see that the rich man in the parable, he, he dies and he goes to Hades. We'll read verses 23 through 26. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all of this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who had passed from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. So this points to the reality of torment and suffering in hell. The reality that this is the eternal destiny for everyone who does not repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus. And this is a hard for reality for some people. It's hard and it causes people to not hear the word of God in the gospel because they cannot believe in a God who would, in their estimation, send people to hell. And I think that we need, as Christians, to recognize that it is uncomfortable to think about the judgment of God and the reality of hell. We don't have to shy away from the difficulty of this doctrine. Rather, I think we should bring our questions, we should bring our concerns regarding God's word to listen and better understand why Jesus talks about the reality of hell and why he warns everyone about it. And so, if this is difficult for you, it's difficult for me, 
in thinking about the reality of hell, something that we have to not forget is the transcendent and perfect holiness of God. God's holiness. Because his holiness, this height of moral perfection is so lofty, we cannot even begin to fathom it. Really, it just goes beyond all of the categories that we have. And so when we begin to think of this type of holiness, when we bring our sin, any sin, up against God's holiness, we begin to see how it can have no place in his perfect presence. Thus, if our sins have not been addressed and removed, then we stand condemned before the just and righteous and holy God of the universe. And so in light of this, the reality of hell, I think, begins to make at least a little bit more sense. Jonathan Edwards says this, Sin against God, being a violation of infinite obligations, must be a crime infinitely heinous and deserving of infinite punishment. So in thinking about the difficult doctrine of the reality of hell and God's judgment, we have to try to wrap our minds around God's holiness. It will help us to better understand this. But I think we also need to remember that ultimately, God does not send people to hell, as some believe. This is something that each person ultimately chooses for themselves. The great theologian J.I. Packer says, God's wrath in the Bible is something which people choose for themselves. Before hell is an experience inflicted by God, it is a state for which a person himself opts by retreating from the light which God shines in his heart to lead him to himself. He then goes on to quote John 3, 18 and 19, which says this, Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. And so, in light of this packer, he continues and says, the decisive act of judgment upon the lost is the judgment which they pass upon themselves by rejecting the light that comes to them in and through Jesus Christ. God does not want anyone to reject the light of Christ. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why Jesus came. He came to save. God is loving and gracious. He doesn't want anyone to suffer being eternally separated from him in hell. Rather, he wants to pour out his love on all of them. He wants to welcome them into his abundant eternal life. We see this in Ezekiel thirty-three eleven. It says, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? God does not want eternal death for anyone. And those who experience this eternal, eternal death don't want it for themselves or for anyone else. That's why the rich man in our parable, when he goes to hell, he wants to warn his five brothers against coming to a place like that so that they don't suffer like he is. The word that God wants every person to hear is that he loves us with an unimaginable love and wants to not only spare us from the consequences of the sin and suffering of hell, but to give us eternal life through faith in him. All anyone must do is repent and believe. And we only have this lifetime on this earth to do that. Because once we die and enter into eternity, our eternal destination, whether heaven or hell, cannot be changed 
as our parable says, that chasm has been fixed. So I urge you all today, hear the word of God. Repent, believe in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Hearing the bad news of the gospel, that we are all sinners, that we all justly stand under God's wrath, that's hard to stomach. It's difficult news to deal with. But I think that this highlights the good news all the more. That God in his rich mercy has loved us with an everlasting love and he freely saves us and makes us alive through faith in Jesus. So I encourage and implore you, hear the word of God, repent and believe in Jesus. And so at the end of the parable, the rich man, he turns to Abraham and begs on behalf of his family in verses 27 through 31. And he said, then I beg you, father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So the rich man experiencing the torment of hell, he wants to warn his five brothers from ever coming to this place. So he asks Abraham to send Lazarus to warn them, to tell them to repent and to put their faith in God. But Abraham responds that they have all they need in the Old Testament to know that they need to repent. The rich man, he thinks this is not enough. His brothers need a sign or a miracle, like someone like Lazarus coming back from the dead and delivering a message to them. But Abraham says that if they don't hear God's word in the Old Testament and repent and believe in God, then no amount of miracles will ever convince them, even if someone were to rise from the dead. And so we, we don't exactly know why these five brothers of the rich man did not hear the word of God and repent. There could be any number of reasons. But their familiarity with the Old Testament and their refusal to repent, to hear God's word and repent, causes me to think of the various issues that a lot of people today have with the Bible that causes them to not believe the Bible is trustworthy or reliable and therefore not hear it as God's word and not hear it at all and repent. And so maybe some of these are things that you have heard, but I think for a number of people today, things that make them challenge or things that challenge them in hearing God's word is because they believe that it was just written by human beings. It's not God's word or that it's just riddled with contradictions. So we can't trust it. They believe that claims about Jesus's divinity were later inventions and additions, that Jesus was just a man, he wasn't God. Some people believe it's unreliable because it's been copied and recopied so many times so that it's been changed and altered throughout the years. And so we can't trust that this is actually what was originally written. There's other claims, but those are some of the big ones. But there are good reasons ultimately to believe in the Bible, to hear it as the word of God. And there, there are good responses to all of these questions, maybe questions that you yourself or someone that you know has wrestled with. The Bible itself attests that it is God-breathed, that it is inspired by God, even though it was written down by humans. And if it's inspired by God, then it must be true because God himself is true. He is the source of all truth. And he oversaw that process, even though human beings wrote down the scriptures. 
There's a long tradition of the original words of Scripture being carefully preserved throughout the centuries. They, they have not been altered. They have not been changed throughout the years. And believe me, there's so much scholarship that, and so many books behind all of this, I can just kind of give you a brief flyover. The New Testament itself is ultimately the most well-attested document in ancient history. Some of these numbers might, you know, just be like noise, but... There's 5,700 copies of manuscripts or portions of manuscripts of the New Testament. Some were written as early as the second century, and the earliest one was written within just 100 years of the death and resurrection of Jesus. I know to us, this seems like a really, really long time. We are used to watching and listening to things live as they are happening. But in terms of ancient history, ancient documents, this is a very, very short amount of time, and that many manuscripts is a lot of manuscripts to attest that we know what was originally written. Some people talk about the differences in manuscripts because, yeah, there are 5,700 of them. You know, there, so one person read this manuscript and copied it down, and so when you compare them, there can be some small differences. And some people just say, well, they're, they're contradictions. We can't trust what we have in the Bible if they're so contradictory. But ultimately, the differences there are all relatively insignificant. New Testament scholar Craig Blomberg, in his book, Can We Still Believe in the Bible, which I would highly recommend, says that most differences are the inclusion or omission of an article or conjunction, the inversion of a couple of words, variant spelling of words, or other minor differences that leave meaning virtually unaffected. He says less than 3% of, the of these differences are significant enough to be presented in one of the two standard critical editions of the Greek New Testament, only about one-tenth of one percent are interesting enough to make their way into the footnote in most English translations. And he says, it cannot be emphasized strongly enough. No orthodox doctrine or ethical practice of Christianity depends solely on any disputed wording. I know for me, when I was first introduced to stuff like this, this type of scholarship about the trustworthiness and reliability of the Bible when I was in college, I was floored. I, I was blown away because I had always just, I never thought about it. I was just, this is the Bible. I, I believe it's the word of God. And that's just what I've chosen to believe. I never thought that there are actual, actually good reasons, solid evidence to believe that it is trustworthy, that it is reliable, that the Bible we have today is the same Bible that was originally written, the one that God worked through human beings to write in which he oversaw the process of, which is ultimately God's word. So basically what all this means is that we can be confident with a high degree of certainty. The Bible we have today is the same Bible that was originally written. So we can be confident that the Bible is actually the word of God. And if it's the word of God, then we should listen to the word of God. The rich man's five brothers, they chose not to listen to God's word. So he asked Abraham to send Lazarus back from the dead to warn them. But Abraham says that if they won't listen to God's word in the Old Testament, even a miracle like a man rising from the dead will not convince them. But Jesus, he is telling this parable before he went to the cross. And so now we have the New Testament to complete God's word to us, to complete the Bible. And this tells us of a man who did rise from the dead. They tells us that Jesus came to this earth as God in the flesh. He entered into the difficulties and suffering of the human experience. He bore our sin, our suffering, and our shame in himself as he died for us on the cross. And he rose again three days later so that all who hear God's word in the gospel, repent and believe in Jesus, are saved. 
The good news of Jesus is preserved for us in God's word. He wants all of us to hear it. He wants us to repent of our sins and trust in Jesus because he wants us to have eternal life. He wants to pour out his extravagant love and blessings and kindness upon us. He wants us ultimately to join Lazarus in experiencing the eternal comfort that is only found in Jesus. And just as there are good reasons to believe in and trust in the Bible, the word of God, there are good reasons to believe that what it says about the death and resurrection of Jesus are true. It's not made up. It's not an invention. It's not a myth. Jesus really did die on the cross for our sins, and he really did rise from the dead. We really are forgiven and saved if we put our trust in him. We really do receive abundant eternal life in Christ that we can enjoy in this lifetime, but that we will perfectly enjoy for all eternity. And so if you have, or if someone you know has doubts or questions about the trustworthiness of the Bible, the reliability of the resurrection. Don't close your ears to what God is saying to you in his word. Don't close off your heart to Jesus. Ask questions, absolutely investigate this matter. It is worth investigating. But I believe that it can stand up to any form and any degree of scrutiny. And if you wanna come Talk to me, talk to Tyler, talk to your neighbor. Um, we'd love to talk with you more about these types of things. For those of us who have believed and trusted in Jesus, we are God's adopted children and we are citizens in God's kingdom. God, he is sovereign Lord over our lives and we are to use our lives. We are to use all of the good things that he blesses, blesses us with to glorify his name, to further God's kingdom. And so what this means is that we, like Lazarus, we need to acknowledge our spiritual poverty. We need to cry out to God in faith, asking for his help and salvation. We don't hoard money and possessions like the rich man did. Rather, like we talked a lot about last week, we are wise and prudent and generous with the resources that God gives to us, ultimately wanting to bless others and ultimately wanting to further God's kingdom. We don't want to stop up our ears to the word of God, but we want to listen, repent, believe, and obey. Because God has lovingly and graciously communicated his word to us for our good, so that we might be saved. That we might escape death and experience life in him. He does not, he does not delight in anyone being separated from him and suffering eternally in hell. He wants to save us. But we do recognize that eternal separation from God in hell is the reality for those who do not repent and believe in Jesus. There are those who have trouble hearing God's word because of the types of things that we've talked about this morning. But there are also those who just have never heard. There are some in the world who currently have no way of hearing. Thus, they, they can't believe. They can't repent and believe. As Romans 10, 14 and 15 says, how then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without he hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so if you have heard this good news and repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus and you are saved, praise God today that this is because he has pursued you in love and spoken to you through his word. He has spoken the gospel, the good news of Jesus to you. And so if that's you 
keep listening. Keep reading the word of God. Keep listening and responding with faith and obedience. If you have not heard God's word and responded in repentance and faith in Jesus, then I encourage you today, hear the word of God. Trust in Jesus. There are, of course, plenty of challenges that we face in this life. There are plenty of doubts and questions that we have that can keep us from doing this, keep us from hearing the word of God. But I want to encourage you, keep wrestling with those doubts, wrestling with those questions. Keep looking to Jesus with all of those things. If that's you, I just want to say that Redeemer is a safe place to have those types of doubts, to ask those types of questions. We're not going to say, just believe or or, or somehow chastise you for asking like you don't have enough faith. It's a safe place to have these conversations. Ultimately, we just want everyone to hear the word of God, to listen to the word of God, because we know that it is the word of eternal life. And we know that God wants us to have and enjoy eternal life. May we also remember that there are so many people in the world who have not heard the word of God in the gospel. Some of them, like I said, have no access at all right now to hear the gospel. But for those who don't respond to God's word with repentance and faith, there is the reality of hell. We, we don't want to be fire and brimstone preachers, but we do want to warn others of this terrible reality. Just as the rich man, after experiencing the pain and torment of Hades himself, wanted to warn his brothers. The reality of sin and the judgment of hell are difficult doctrines, and these are bad news. But they make the good news of God's love and grace and salvation in Christ all that much better. It's why it's called the good news. So in thinking about our question, what keeps us from hearing the word of God? This is what it means to hear God's word. Listen, repent, believe, and obey. We praise God that he has chosen to speak to us at all. God is not required to speak to us in any form or fashion. And so we praise him that he has. We praise him that he gives us the Holy Spirit to understand and believe the truth of his word that he has spoken to us. The truth of salvation and eternal life in Christ. So my hope and prayer is that we would all hear the word of God, the good news of the gospel that we would repent and believe and obey, that we would trust in Jesus and that we would delight in the eternal life that we now have through faith in Christ. And that we would recognize that there are people out there who still have not heard. They still have not responded with repentance and faith. And so in light of that, that we would love God, that we would love them enough to tell them and to encourage them to hear. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have spoken to us. God, you are under no obligation to speak to us, to reveal anything of yourself to us, Lord. And you absolutely are under no obligation to save us. God, human beings, we chose sin. We chose to disobey you, Lord. God, and you could have just completely left us to our own sinful devices or just responded with wrath and judgment. Lord, and you would have been completely just to do so. But you saw our sin, you saw the suffering that sin causes, and you were moved to compassion because of your great love. And so you made a way by sending your son to this earth 
and him going to the cross for us to be forgiven and saved and reconciled unto you and to be saved from death and destruction that sin causes and to be saved into eternal abundant life in you. So I pray that you would help us all to hear the word of God, the word that you have spoken to us and preserved for us, God, in the Bible. God, I pray that you would speak to each one of us and show us if there are ways in our lives that we are not hearing your word. Lord, maybe ways that we're not even engaging your word, so how can we hear it? God, I pray that we would all respond in repentance and faith and trust and obedience. God, and that we would delight in the eternal life that you have given to us through faith in Christ. God, and I pray that you would show us the people in our lives, the people around us, God, who have yet to hear the word of God and respond in repentance and faith. That we would love them, that we would pray for them, that we would communicate the truth of the word of God, the truth of the gospel to them so that they might hear. God, and pray that by your Holy Spirit, they would respond in repentance and faith so that they too can be saved and experience the abundant life that is only found in you. Lord, we thank you for loving us. Help us to delight in your love and help us to today and every day continually hear the word of God. So we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.